it's kind of weird for other people, but I was like, oh, mom, we're going to start trying. Like, let's start having a baby, you know? And so then she told me, like, after a couple months, oh, don't worry, you know, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. You know, all those little things that people always say, like, oh, my God. You just rolled your Do eyes. Do I know yeah. about it? I rolled my eyes so hard. I'm surprised you actually didn't hear it on the recording because I feel like that was all I heard was. Yes. Well, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just going to happen. And I think yeah. people, when they tell you that, they, they're trying to reassure you and they're trying totally. to, to build you yeah. up. But actually, I hated that. Been There, Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. Going through IVF is kind of like losing your virginity. You can watch movies about it, read about it, and talk to your friends about it, but until you experience it, there's no way to really 100% prepare yourself or know what to expect. A year or two before we started IVF, I remember going to my fertility yoga class, and someone in the class said, trying to conceive naturally is like getting your undergraduate degree. Trying to conceive through IVF is like getting a PhD. There's so much more to learn. It's a completely different level, a whole different league. That woman was not lying. I learned so much about my own anatomy after starting IVF, so much more about hormones, so much about my strength and what I'm able to endure, and just overall so much more about myself and my husband Brad too. Before we started IVF, I did a lot of Googling and Pinteresting and Tumbling, tumbling, whatever, (laughs) I combed through countless blogs and web pages and forums for advice and tips and hacks, anything I could get my hands on to better align my expectations with the whole IVF process. And honestly, it just, it made my anxiety so much worse. It was so overwhelming. Here are a few of the top things I wish I knew about IVF before we'd started our journey. Firstly, it completely upends your life. During IVF, our life revolved around what we could do and couldn't do. Could and couldn't drink. Could and couldn't afford every dollar, brain cell, ounce of physical and emotional energy went into IVF. I was a neglectful friend, a selfish wife, just like a bit of a basket case overall. And that's why it's just really important to remember that IVF is only temporary. It's not who you are. It's something you're going through. And it's really only for a moment in time. Even though every day feels endless when you're in it, there is an end to it, and it will eventually be over. Secondly, the injections were not as bad as I thought they were going to be. I never had a phobia of needles, but I sure as shit never liked them. I mean, nobody does. But I remember seeing the massive amounts of meds Brad brought home from the pharmacy, and I was thinking, how am I going to do this? But you know what? You do it. You do it, and you take comfort in the fact that Giving yourself injections is actually the only thing you can really do to help your little eggies grow. You ice your injection area for 10 minutes before and for 10 minutes after and you take a deep breath and you just, you get it done, you get through it. But as far as the pain itself, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Although my stomach did end up looking like some messed up dartboard or like weird constellation. Thirdly, You learn pretty quickly that quantity is not the same as quality. At the beginning of our IVF journey, I just assumed more is better than less, like more eggs, more embryos, higher chance of success, right? Well, not necessarily. Quantity does not always equate to quality, and sometimes it does, of course, but not all times. 
I wish I could tell myself not to be so competitive over egg numbers and embryo numbers with other fertility warriors. It's not a contest and there isn't only one winner. Being a naturally competitive person, I found this part extremely challenging. Asking friends I know how many eggs they got, like I was asking what grade they got on the history test. It was so lame and so unnecessary and you just have to trust that your body is doing the very best it can and that your doctors and your care team are monitoring all your levels and they are going to help you mitigate anything or change anything that might need to be changed. And if you don't believe that and you don't believe your doctor, then it might be time to find a new team. Also, this leads me to an important resource point. Never, ever Google, ever, especially after 8 p.m. If you have questions about IVF or what's going on with your protocol or how many follicles you saw, ask your doctor or nurse. I have such mixed feelings about using the internet during vulnerable, emotional, and confusing times. On the one hand, it's helped me connect to a lot of kick-ass women and given me so much support and advice. On the other hand, it's also been a huge source of anxiety. Never eat gluten if you're really serious about getting pregnant. Always do this other annoying thing. It's just filled with advice from people who don't always know what they're talking about, and I wish I had laid off the Googling. I wish I'd written down all my questions as neurotic or silly or stupid as I thought they sounded, and I wish I'd brought them in and asked my doctor. This would have saved me so much stress and tears and late nights huddled around the warm glow of my computer screen. The last thing I wish I'd known about IVF is that there's really nothing that you can do. It sucks. It's also weirdly freeing. As a natural born control freak, I struggle with this aspect of infertility the most. The feeling like I have no control over my future. Like I'm just a passenger wearing my seatbelt and crossing my fingers that I get where I want to go. But once I accepted this, life got a lot easier. <laughs> once I realized that there really wasn't anything I could do beyond not drink alcohol or caffeine, there was something very freeing. I knew that this was not on me. This was not necessarily my responsibility. It was way, way out of my control. So now to discuss a little bit more about IVF and her experience with the process, I'd like to introduce you to today's guest, Megan Johansson. Hi, Megan. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Good. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you? What's your name? Where are you from? What kind of work do you do? Okay. So I'm Megan. I live in Bloomington here with my husband and... I am a program analyst for a local nonprofit. We, what does what a program analyst do? So a program analyst, I basically like, I run a lot of reports. I'm kind of a um, Excel guru. I'm kind of like the go-to person in my office. So it's like if they don't have time to do it or they don't know how to do it, they're like, oh, Megan can get it done. I'm like, you are a very positive person. <laughs> I feel like if I had a lot of things I needed done, if I asked you, you'd be like, no problem, can do. Yeah. Even if you were dying on the inside, you'd probably be like, yeah, for sure. Most days I am. I'm like, okay, I really don't have time for this, but sure, why not? I'm getting better at saying no, though. That's one of like my goals. That's is... good. It's really hard to do. Megan, why don't we start at the beginning, and why don't you tell me a little bit about how you met your husband sure. and 
kind of those early days and what your mm-hmm. relationship looked like before infertility, before IVF, before <clears throat> that whole shit show. I feel like that was like a different life. It's so much has changed since then. So we both worked for Lifetime Fitness and he worked at the corporate office. I worked in one of the clubs. So we didn't really like know, know each other, but he would come into the club every so often and, you know, meet with other team members. And so I, I always kind of knew who he was, but not anything much about him. And so finally he like asked me out and I was like, like a friend or like <laughs> like more like it was just kind of weird because at first we didn't really like know what what was had he just kind of seen yeah. you around and he was yeah. interested in you or so later on down the road he told me that the first time he saw me he told his best friend that's the girl I'm gonna marry no way and I'm like you were not no. aggressive you didn't you like barely asked me out yeah what if you'd said no did he have a backup plan no <laughs> so do you remember when you decided to start trying to have a baby do you remember like the very very beginning before you knew there were going to be like hiccups and missteps and all that kind of stuff like yes those very early conversations so we were really naive so we got married in december and we thought oh let's just give it until like november and then we'll like start trying let's the next november yeah, so we'll, like a we'll wait year. like a year yeah so we wanted to try and wait a year before trying quote unquote and so then when that finally that day came and i was like do you want to have a baby? Like, let's make a baby. <laughs> and we were all excited and, you know, like, just get into it. And we're just like, oh, it's not happening. Like, three, four months down the road. And I'm like, okay, what's what's this all about, you know? I knew that my mom had issues and she had to take Clomid in order to have me. But they always say that, you know, it's not hereditary. It shouldn't, you know, it's based on, you know, your own body. But... How did that conversation with your mom come up, like, about the Clomid? Had you always known that she'd struggled, or did this kind of come up as you were kind of going through your own thing? So my mom's, like, my best friend. Like, we talk about everything. So, of course, it's kind of weird for other people, but I was like, oh, mom, we're going to start trying. Like, let's start having a baby, you know? And so then she told me, like, after a couple months, oh, don't worry. You know, it'll, you know, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. You know, all those little things that people always say, like, what it's meant to be and things like that oh my god you just rolled your do eyes. i know yeah. about it i rolled my eyes so hard i'm surprised you actually didn't hear it on the recording because i feel like that was all i heard it was yes what well, it's gonna happen mm-hmm. it's just gonna happen and i think yeah. people when they tell you that they they're trying to reassure you and they're trying totally. to to build you yeah. up but actually it i hated that yeah and i think that I probably was one of those people that probably said that back in the day. Do you That's know what kind I mean? of the worst part about yeah. everything with infertility is I look back on all the shit I said to people and I'm like, oh yes. my gosh. I think the craziest part is looking back and realizing all the damaging and really mm-hmm. problematic stuff I said to people mm-hmm. unknowingly. It's kind of like when I, I think about this a lot. It's kind of like when your friends get married and you don't really know all the work and effort that goes into Mm -hmm. having a wedding at all yeah and so you give some like shitty gift like my best friend got (laughs) married and I gave her these um napkin holders that were not on the registry that you could they were were, like chalkboard (laughs) napkin holders so you could like write someone's name on it and I thought they were adorable they were like 12 dollars cute yeah cute $12 and then I got married and I was like oh my god if someone gave me these shitty ass like napkin holders I'd be so pissed I'd be like get out of here do you know how much I just paid for you but you don't know until you go through it like it's the same thing with the infertility stuff like you don't know Mm -hmm. how damaging and traumatic all of those little Mm -hmm. statements are so yes anyway so your mom was being a cheerleader and it probably felt good in the beginning though Mm -hmm. 
yeah for sure it was fine and and she always said like you know it took your dad and I my mom was a little bit older and my dad was definitely older um because there were 12 years apart between them and so um they definitely needed some help I think but I just didn't know to the extent I think she said that she took Clomid for like a couple of months and then she was like please just don't give me like a litter I just want one or two (laughs) healthy babies yeah well you've got me sorry she got you the best one (laughs) yep yeah well, that's cool. I mean, not that your mom went through that, but mm-hmm. it's cool that you could have those conversations yeah. really early mm-hmm. because I know a lot of people don't have that support network within their family no. or they're worried mm-hmm. about telling them or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they think they might be judged. When did you start to think that something might be quote-unquote wrong? Like mm-hmm. how long had you been trying before you started getting that like twitchy like mm-hmm. uh-oh? So it was definitely like I want to say about eight or nine months like after we started really, really trying and when you say really really trying do you mean like tracking your cycle like that kind of stuff yeah okay pretty much like because we were trying for a couple months and then after that I'm such a control freak you know (laughs) me like going through everything so just being that like control freak of that I am I I knew that I needed to start tracking and like there's such a certain window and so I would do it without like bringing Kelly into it because then I feel like that would have like brought undue stress onto our relationship right away so it was just kind of like me doing it and being like okay like let's go so you purposefully left your husband Kelly out of a lot of (laughs) your neuroses right away that is a different strategy than I took which was project all of my stress and anxiety (laughs) onto my husband Brad which I don't recommend that. I feel like when you're just starting out and you're like, okay, this this month is going to be it. Like you're just so positive in the very beginning and you're like, okay, this is going to be it. This is going to like happen. And then 10 days later, you're like, not so much. Not this month. Not this month. Well, yeah. And it starts out like, oh, bummer. We'll get him next time. And then yeah. the next month, it just felt like exponentially mm-hmm. harder each month. Yes, for sure. And... Mother nature sucks. Like, yeah. I feel like the PMS symptoms are the same as pre-pregnancy <laughs> symptoms. So you're it like, totally is. my boobs hurt and yeah. I'm crabby and I feel a little nauseous. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's my period still. And I have a little bit of cramps, but then that could be either way. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah, it is it such sucks. a mind mm-hmm. game. It is. Mm-hmm. So then after trying for a couple months, then I I went to my OB because I, I feel like I either had like an appointment set or something. And I kind of told her, even though it had only been like nine or ten months, you know how they want you to wait like a year. Yep. I was like, oh, it's been a year. Let's let's see. Start you're doing smarter something. than I am. I wish I'd budged that a little bit. Um, because because we were married for a little bit, and so I was like, oh yeah, we've been trying. I've been tracking, and so my OBGYN was like, oh, do you want to try like injectables? Do you want to try pills? Do you want to try Clomid first? And I was like, whatever, let's get going. Oh wow, like, that was very different than my OB experience, which really? was basically like, here's some Clomid, good luck. Oh, <laughs> different approach, <laughs> different physician. Yeah, I feel like I was just very pushy with her because I was just like I'm I need to get going and I told her like my mom tried Clomid and so I don't know if maybe that helped I don't know but how did you how did you even learn about how to track your cycle like what were some of the tools you used like do you remember Mm -hmm. were you googling stuff like were you talking to friends like do you remember how you were kind of getting smart about this I feel like I I googled a lot of it just because I didn't really know who to talk to and a lot of my girlfriends already had kids sure they didn't have trouble having kids. They're amazing. They're awesome. So they're just like, you know, I already have one or two babies. And I'm like, okay, I'm like the late one in the group. Like, I don't have any kids yet. This kind of sucks. But um, I feel like I Googled a lot because I'm not going to ask them about tracking if they never tracked or, you right. know what I mean? Yeah, they, for sure. They don't really know a lot about it either. So. No, mm-hmm. I feel like I also was just kind of 
late night Googling, mm-hmm. clicking around. Yeah. Like, trying to find positive <laughs> sources. Like, okay, this is from Women's Health. That sounds, like, pretty good. Right. That's not, like, some weird forum from mm-hmm. 2007. This yeah. is, like, a legit source of information. <laughs> and then I did get one or two books that I found very helpful. But mm. That's yeah, actually there were... a good point. I, I started looking at the It Starts With an Egg. I mm. love that book. That book was really helpful because it, it kind of, like, to- it told me examples of things that I could change in my environment that I can control that might help your egg quality or might help some of your you know chances of conceiving from there they wanted to start doing IUIs the I don't even remember what it stands for do you intrauterine insemination thank you so for those we did injectables so my OB I know that some of the other people that I've talked to some OBGYNs don't do injectables with right. IUIs but ours did so injectables meaning so I either like, used um like gonal F or folistim and okay. and so it was just a really really small dose and so basically they had me do that and then track like either track when my um my surge was and then give myself the injectable and then I would come in with a sample and they would do the IUIs. And so we did three of those that were all unsuccessful, too. Mm-hmm. Had you had any kind of diagnosis at this point, or was it no. still pretty up in the air? So we are still 100% unexplained, like textbook unexplained. Like we, I, all of my levels are exactly where they should be. Like his sperm levels are where they should be. There's no reason why we could not conceive on our own. So what inspired that move from the OB and the IUIs to mm-hmm. move on to a fertility clinic? Can you talk a little bit about that decision and then yeah. how you found your doctor in your clinic? Definitely. So when we were going through IUIs, I was very open about it. So I would kind of, you know, bring it up to my close friends, close family. Just, I don't know, I kind of felt like I needed that support. I'm, I'm a very open person. I'm an open book. I like to talk about things like that because it's funny how if you mention things like that, people will say, oh, I know someone that has gone through it too, or I myself have gone through it. And so it's just kind of interesting how many people I've even met just through like the IUI stage of our infertility process. And so I was meeting a new kind of a new business partner, I would say, like back then. And he said that his wife was a nurse at a IVF clinic. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, maybe we'll end up, you know, going to an IVF clinic. I don't really know much about it yet. We decided to just make a consult. It was like, what, $100, $150 or something like that. And at least we would get a feel of, is this the right place for us? Like, how would we even move forward? It was just kind of more for us to just make that consult appointment, just to have like a plan. You know what I mean? And honestly, like I was looking back on some of my journals and what I had written back then, and I was so full of hope when I made that consult appointment. I was so excited. And it was almost like that was our next step. And that was like I was like full of like new new life almost, like a new hope. So have you always journaled? Were you, were you journaling a lot during this time? Or? So I started um, an Instagram account that was specifically for IVF. And it's kind of crazy how open that community became like I've met some of my closest friends on that that Instagram account and it's crazy so if you needed someone just like as an outlet you could find so many people the the trying to conceive community the TTC community yeah I found that there are some people who create like an anonymous yeah yeah Instagram account Mm -hmm. for like hashtag TTC if you search Mm -hmm. the hashtag TTC yeah on Instagram, you're going to see a wealth Tons. of these accounts. Um, so there are a lot of anonymous ones from Absolutely. just people who want to share their journey or yeah. get 
you know, feedback mm-hmm. or thoughts or prayers yeah. or some kind mm-hmm. of community aspect of it. And then there are people who are pretty open about their journey as right. well. Right. But they might also create another account in case their friends and family want to along, mm-hmm. come along, mm-hmm. but they don't want to intersplice with, like, their quote-unquote real life, exactly. which, again, yeah, Megan, exactly. you spoke to is it's all yeah. your life. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you kind of started this Instagram account. Yeah. And started making some connections through mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. Can you explain, like, some of the – awesome things you got out of that experience and maybe some of the things that weren't so great if there were any yeah yeah totally so a lot of things that I that I got out of my my IVF um, trying to conceive Instagram account was just the support in the community that I met there's probably four girls that I've never met in real life that I still text with probably daily if not like every other day or something and they will send send me little things like that they're thinking of me or like we just there's people that you meet that I feel like are supposed to be in your life Mm -hmm. but how else would you meet them because you went through this crazy journey together so I've always kept them like really close the people that have had gone through basically like the same steps at the same time as me kind of like how you and I went together yeah we kind of went through IVF at the exact same time that's mm -hmm. how Megan and I met I think we actually (laughs) went through like, like a Facebook page I think so those are the parts that are sort of heartwarming to look mm-hmm. back on later yeah. when you have a little bit of perspective definitely um mm-hmm. in the time you're like this sucks why is this mm-hmm. happening to me mm-hmm. these women are cool i guess but also <laughs> where's my baby yeah uh. yeah especially when all of your other like really good best friends they're having babies or they're like they just don't know how to really you know be there for you a hundred percent totally mm-hmm. so how did you and your husband kelly decide to pursue ivf was that an easy decision or was that something you kind of had to talk about um it was pretty easy for us because we just knew we didn't even honestly have a conversation like it was just kind of we are making this consult appointment and we decided that we loved the doctor that we met with and we love we just had such a great feeling of of the clinic themselves that it was just kind of like here's your checklist of what your next steps are and we just didn't even talk about it we just made appointments and did it so it was pretty easy for us we just knew that that was what we had to do did you have any worries or fears going into it you know do you remember being 100% hopeful or were there parts of you that were like don't get your hopes up I'm a pretty positive person and I feel like it was just more so like a blindly positive. Do you know what I mean? Like this was either going to work or like it's it's just not an option for us. You know what I mean? It like, not working isn't an option. Yeah, for yeah. Yeah. Like for me, I just didn't let that doubt like creep into my head and we just never talked about it. Like it was just kind of like, okay, this is our next steps. It's just, it's going to happen. Like, and I think going into it with a undiagnosis of unexplained infertility kind of it almost like helped us because then it was like we don't why would it not work yeah yeah because everyone kept saying that there's nothing stopping you guys from conceiving and I'm like well clearly there is but right that you can't tell me what it is you know so I think in our minds we just knew like this is just gonna happen it's just a when we'll be right back So one of the things that I'm personally really bad at is asking for help. I hate asking for help, and that vulnerability stuff that Brene Brown talks about is so real. Uh, But I'm going to ask for your help right now because I need it. Um, So if you have five minutes, either right now or on the bus home from work, or if there's a quick ad break during your Hulu binge, please take a second to rate this podcast. The best way for other fertility warriors to find Been There Injected That is for our listeners to rate us and write us a review. 
So please go ahead and do that. And thank you so much. Back to the show. So can you talk a little bit about how uh, you and Kelly made certain decisions around IVF? Like, Mm -hmm. did you decide you were going to do ICSI? Did you decide on genetic testing? What were some of those deciding factors? Did you do a fresh transfer, frozen transfer? Mm -hmm. How did you decide and how did you get smart about those options? So I feel like the very first time that we talked to our doctor, um, she laid everything out for us pretty clear. Like she was awesome. So, and it wasn't even a very long meeting, but she just like told us, this is what I recommend for you guys. And this is why, because we were unexplained and everything looked like good. She was like, there's no reason that you probably couldn't do a fresh transfer if you didn't want to. But we really felt like we wanted to do the chromosome testing because Mm -hmm. if we're already spending the money to do IVF and the time, why not test them? Because we don't know what's wrong with us. Maybe it is something to do with the eggs, you know, once they are created into little embryos. And so we just decided that we wanted to do a frozen transfer and test the embryos once we got them. That was kind of our thought as well when we were trying to decide. And I think... Mm -hmm. Um, because we were paying totally out of pocket, Same here. that number, like the cost was just killer. And I couldn't imagine going through everything and then mm-hmm. like having it not work or having mm-hmm. a miscarriage or something and then having to start all over after going through all that. So yeah. for me, that was like, okay, if we can have a little bit more insight as to yes. like what the embryos look like mm-hmm. and, you know, are they compatible compatible with life? Mm-hmm. That to me was worth it, but I can understand how that's a really tough decision for someone where every single dollar is so important. Yeah, yeah. And for us, we just, that's just kind of what we figured. Like like you said, we were all out of pocket too. So it's like, we're already spending this much money. It, we're not going to do this again. Like, it's just not an option. So now why don't we talk a little bit about how IVF went, mm-hmm. what happened. Um, why don't you take us through to today? Okay, so we went through egg retrieval, and we got, I think it was like 45 eggs. It was Oh, my God. Insane amount of eggs. Yeah. and so, Get out of this room. <laughs> yeah, I did not feel good very much after that. 45 like, eggs is, maybe that's the highest I've ever heard. There's a girl that I, I saw on Instagram that she got like 60 eggs. That's like, not normal. It's not even healthy. Like, think of like OHSS that you would get after that because basically when you take all those eggs out there's all that space and then fluid goes into that space and then that's how you get OHSS and that's like how people get sick so it's like they don't want you to get that many eggs anyways and so they monitored me really closely. So when they woke up and they were like Megan we got 45 eggs what did you say? So I don't even remember them telling me that because the embryologist comes in like after when you're just waking up and I remember they said something to my husband, or she said something to my husband, and and he was just like, "Oh, that's great," but to him, he didn't understand what that meant. Like, right? You know he I mean? didn't have like, like a benchmark in his mind no. of what it should be. And so in my head, I I didn't think that it was that many until the next day when she called me to give me like the report, and she was like, "Okay, so we got forty five and I like almost choked. I was like, "What?" I was like, we got how many? She goes, yeah, I told you that yesterday. I was like, I don't remember that, like, at all. So we ended up getting um, 21 were mature, and then there was 19 of them that fertilized. And after the five-day blast, I think we had 13 to test. Oh, my gosh. So we were, like, 
super blessed. That does not happen to a lot of people. It doesn't, and I have to be like a million percent honest, so we're kind of done with our Mm -hmm. fertility story, and even hearing you say that, I'm getting jealous. Do you know what I mean? Like, even in this moment where it's like, okay, things worked out okay for both of us, I'm still like, (laughs) screw you, Megan, and you're like perfect little life, and... Your perfect retrieval. <laughs> then I woke up and they're like, you got seven eggs. And I was like, cool, let me walk off this building. Shut up. Kind no. of. I mean, it was just like, I mean, the seven was like, wow, that was lower than I thought. And then it went down yeah. to three and then went down to two. And when I was it, like, when it well, drops off, you're like, oh, Lord. Because like they that drop hurts. off really fast. You it just does. went from 45 to 13. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I the part that those calls, like mm-hmm. waiting for those fertilization report calls, they're torture. Total torture. Yeah. Yeah. So, so out of those 13, nine were normal, three were abnormal, and one was undetermined. So we had nine to kind of work with. Did you feel weird or guilty kind of sharing some of your good yes. news? Like, did you know you were going to be talking to people like me who were like, <laughs> screw you, Megan? Yeah. Like, you don't want to like share that because it's, it's almost like the, oh, you're pregnant. Like, I'm really happy for you, but I'm sad for me. It's the same instance where you're like, oh, you got nine and I only have three. Like, what's wrong with me? Or And like, even the, like, quote, unquote, only three. Like, I remember feeling like there's always going to be someone who has only one or, th- mm-hmm. or someone who doesn't have any. So yeah. even sharing, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a little disappointed felt mm-hmm. weird or felt like somebody else would be – judging me i totally know what you mean yeah Yeah. so it was hard to definitely like i don't want to boast about it or anything but i i wanted to still document it but then i was like okay this is our our, what we're going to be doing but then i like focused on our next steps so as soon as we got those results it was like game on now it's time to prep for transfer because you basically have to wait until you get that number back in order to get calendared and to kind of like figure out what next steps are to get ready for transfer. So how long did you have to wait between uh, getting that news about the embryos and Mm -hmm. actually getting ready to do your transfer? So it was really quick. It was a lot quicker than I expected. Um, Basically between the time of my egg retrieval and then the date of our, our initial transfer, our frozen transfer, it was only like six weeks. So, or no, maybe it was like eight weeks because I feel like maybe it was six weeks from the time that we got our results back. So it was pretty quick. Okay. It goes by really fast. It really does. So it's kind of crazy. So you're getting ready to do your frozen transfer. This is your first one. Mm -hmm. And how are you feeling? What happened? So basically we were, you know, on a roll getting ready for transfer and doing all the meds. And it took a lot of pressure off knowing that we had other chances if this didn't work and that's kind of like what we talked about we're like if this doesn't work we'll just roll into like a next one you know as soon as we can so we just kind of stayed positive and if it didn't work it didn't work so that's kind of was our mindset going into it it was so smooth like our clinic they just make everything like you're in you're out everything everyone's so positive like all the nurses are amazing at our clinic so going home basically was the best car ride ever and I still remember it really vividly because there's like this ritual that everyone always talks about getting McDonald's french fries like do you know where that came from I feel like it's the salt from french fries but it was I feel like it's more so from um fresh transfers because fresh transfers are after like egg retrievals and this is just me it could be totally wrong but I have been like, like tra- it helps. I've been trying to like track down yeah. the beginning of this. It's such an old wives tale. It is. I'm like, who started this? And I'm curious, does McDonald's know about this? <laughs> they should totally. They should totally know. They should do like a IVF 
yeah. ad campaign. Yeah, like come and get your fries. Oh my gosh, I would buy so many French fries if McDonald's <laughs> did like an IVF campaign. Totally out. Yes, they should. We should work on that. We should. They should yeah. partner with like a clinic. Oh my gosh, we're coming up with so many great marketing ideas right now. I feel like <laughs> if somebody works for McDonald's, email me. Yes, definitely. So the car ride home, they so they give you Valium for the transfer just to make sure that you're really like calm and relaxed and everything. You just don't make any sudden movements and stuff like that. So I remember my husband is super like overprotective so he made me like lay flat in the back of the car oh my and he gosh. brought like a pillow for me and so I don't I don't eat McDonald's french fries very often so I personally love Smashburger french fries sorry another ad not really <laughs> and so I made him go into the mall that was right next to our clinic and go get me sweet potato smash fries because I was like that's all that I want and if that helps it work then we're gonna like you know go after it so I was like laying in the back seat of the car and I remember just like taking a picture and I'm like you know valiumed up so it was just funny because then he came back and he's like here's your fries babe and I'm like like scarfing them down my throat I couldn't eat them fast enough I love also the juxtaposition of your husband being so like careful and cautious with you and like such a sweet caretaker and I feel like Brad was like you're fine. Let's go take a walk around the lake. I'm like, I'm supposed to be on bed rest for two days. Bring me yogurt. He's yeah. like, you're fine. So Kelly, he was amazing. He always has been amazing. But our bedroom is upstairs. And so he literally got like a thermos of like water next to the bed to make sure it stayed cold for me. He would have like granola bars and like anything that I would want. Oh my gosh. Hotel Kelly. I know, right? And so even beforehand, so there's a couple old wives tales about um, having transfers and things that help them work. And so I had um, all like warm things ready because it says like if you eat warm foods in your body, it helps, you know, like the M baby, like stick around or anything like that. But I don't know. I just I made chili and I made like everything that's warm. So he would make sure that he would bring me food. I've like heard that. I've heard some stuff about the warm foods, too. Mm-hmm. I think there is uh, I know there's definitely some kind of Chinese medicine mm-hmm. uh, component of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially also I've heard like keeping your feet warm. Yes, I did that, too. I kept socks on my feet. Me, all too. The time. I was like yeah. so paranoid. And we <laughs> both are, live in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So I had like my special slippers and mm-hmm. my special socks. And I was like very obsessed with my feet being warm. Yeah, and what which was, is also just comfortable. So then <clears throat> afterwards, um, of the two days bed rest, that's what our clinic they recommend. Uh, not every clinic does, but that's what our doctor kind of suggests for us. So we did that. I was very strict about it. I only got up to go to the bathroom, even though it was driving me crazy. I'm not a person that would sit down and just relax very much. Like I, I'm very much much a putzer around the house. And we have a really small dog. And so Kelly was super adamant about the dog can't be in our room. He can't be on the bed. Nothing can like touch your stomach. He was like so overprotective and I love him. Like, That's he's so awesome. sweet. Yeah. So it was kind of funny. So we ended up um, getting through the two days without, you know, me wanting to kill him. Because he was Victory. Yeah. Um, after that, I was like, oh, I'm free from jail. Like, now let's let me go for a walk. And he's like, babe, is that a really smart decision? You should really relax. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. You know, whatever. So waiting for beta. So like nine days after um, your transfer is the worst wait ever. So you have to definitely plan things. I had things scheduled with like girlfriends to like go to dinner, kind of keep myself busy because it was like, how would you, you just drive yourself crazy, like thinking about symptoms and things like that. Did your friends and your network know that you had done this transfer? Yes. And two of my really 
best friends like forever they they actually stopped over and like brought me like care packages and stuff like that so even though I was in bed they still came and like sat in bed with me and like brought me magazines and ginger ale and things like that so it was really sweet yeah so everyone knew even I feel like even my boss like I was really open about my journey because it's it's tough it takes you out of work like more than you think just for monitoring appointments and just things like that and so I was really upfront and honest with it and and he it was a guy even and he was just like you do whatever you gotta do I will support you fully like whatever you need so you were waiting for your beta call yeah you were keeping yourself really busy did you test at all during that time so I did and so I tested, I want to say it like six days after transfer, and I got like a really, really light, like almost like a really faint squinter. And I'm like, oh, yes, this worked. Like, you know, I can see something and just kind of naive about like what that even meant. Was that your first positive pregnancy test? Ever. Ever. Yeah, ever, ever. And so that's, I think, why I was so excited about it. And then the next day I took one and it was like barely not even there. And I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, because it was like. It was there yesterday. It starts the mental game where you're like, oh, this didn't work actually. So it's such a roller coaster. It just sucked so bad. That was kind of why I didn't test. Yeah. Because I I knew, because I didn't trust myself. Mm -hmm. I would have bought $500 worth of pregnancy tests and peed every hour for sure. Then when I got the call, they were like, oh, well, congratulations, you are pregnant. But you know how that like inevitable but, and you're like, okay like you're super excited and then you're just like your world dropped in your stomach you're just like oh great so they wanted to see my beta number at 50 or above and mine was only at I want to say it was like 35 and so they're like you're pregnant but we're gonna see what's gonna happen like in two days like we're gonna give it two days and then we're gonna retest it we'd like to see it double within like 48 hours and so we waited two more days Kelly was just a total downer he was like this didn't work we're just we're we're gonna lose this baby and like he just was like devastated he was like we're gonna see what's gonna happen in two you know two days but he he just was not hopeful you know it was so it was really tough it was a really hard time so then my second beta came back and it only went up to 45 and that was really tough news because because then our doctor actually called us and gave us the news so you know when your doctor calls it's not always good it's like when the nurse calls you're like oh, okay, like everything's smooth sailing. There's no bumps in the road. When your doctor calls, you're like, what happened? You're it's like, like oh when God. you were applying for colleges and you got like the thick packet. You were yeah. like, yes, I got in. But if you got the skinny letter, it was like, like, oh, no. Oh, shoot, what is this thing? Yeah, so it was really tough. And she's like, well, you know, it, it did go up, so that's a good thing, but it didn't go up quite as much as we wanted to. So, you know, your body might just, you know, miscarry this baby. And I was just like, oh, like, that's not what I wanted to hear. And we almost wanted like my number to go down because then it was kind of like, then it would just be no iffy gray area. Like you would just know like this isn't going to work. So it went up and we were like, well, now what do we do? Like, I'm, I don't want to be stuck in this limbo time, you know, like we're a little control freaks. We want to either, you know, move on and try like the next time or, you know, know what's going on. Yeah. It's like on the one hand, you're still in the game, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, it's not looking good. Right. Not at all. So we gave it four more days. She had me up my my PIO shot, and it ended up going up and doubling exactly accordingly however they wanted to, it to look. So we were, like, back in it again, and then it just kept going okay from there, basically. So I went in, like, two weeks later for my ultrasound. Kelly went into the ultrasound with me, and he was, like, 
such a Debbie Downer. He was like ready to basically see like no heartbeat, no baby. Like he was ready to see nothing. And so it was really hard to try and stay positive for the both of us, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can imagine as someone who's naturally positive, Mm -hmm. it must be tough sometimes to have to kind of manage his feelings or not let his fear and negativity affect you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, it was tough, but then after they told us that, yep, there's like, there's the sack and there's like the, the heartbeat. And even for us to see the heartbeat, I feel like at that very first ultrasound was actually pretty crazy because we went in a little bit early knowing that we had really weird betas and like numbers. And so they brought us in early just to make sure that, you know, it's where it needed to be and like everything looked good. So at that point, I remember the nurse walking out and the tech and Kelly like literally just melted into the chair and he just like took this big breath and I was like, see, like now everything can be okay. And he's like, we're not out of the woods yet. And I'm oh like, my gosh. but we are. But can we just enjoy this one <laughs> exactly. moment, please? So I'm like, can you just like be excited for just right now? Like until we walk out. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of a crazy ride. Like in it, it, that beta roller coaster that I, especially if I see that other people are going through that, I don't like to necessarily tell them like what we went through to give them false hope, but I definitely tell them, you know, this is what we went through. It can happen. Just stay cautiously optimistic, you know, and even just guard your heart. I think that's a really good point because I've seen a lot of different posts on Facebook groups or on Instagram where people are like, can I have your positive stories around Mm -hmm. like having a low beta and then having eventually like a healthy kid? Mm -hmm. And you want to help add to the hope, but you also know scientifically the odds probably aren't great in Mm -hmm. certain situations. Like you really, Mm -hmm. I mean, had a really amazing experience, but probably on the rarer side. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. So you, you definitely need to be cautious about sharing your story with like the wrong intention. You know what I mean? For sure. And mm-hmm. I think as long as you caveat it with, mm-hmm. you know, we were, you know, yeah. very lucky and there's nothing that I did or didn't do. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing too, is I think especially in those early days where things either stick or don't stick mm-hmm. or you have a chemical pregnancy or you miscarry really early. I think a lot of times people are like, is this because I ate Cheez-Its? And it's like, <laughs> no, it just like, yeah. this is just a really tragic mm-hmm. thing that happens sometimes. And there yeah. isn't, no, it's not because of something you did. Yeah. So how has infertility changed you at all? Has it? So I definitely feel like a stronger person because of it. I I feel like I can take on different, different like roles and responsibilities in my life that I never would have thought that I, I could have just because I know that I, I went through IVF like, I'm a strong woman because of that. I you don't have know. to be a badass to go through you that. You do. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely do. And it just takes a lot, I think, out of your relationship too. And so it makes you either stronger or it's going to like break you. Like it, it kind of like could go either way. And so the journey itself has made us stronger as a couple and making choices, I guess, in our life. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today, Megan. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. That was Been There, Injected That. It is a new podcast produced by Fruitful Fertility, hosted by myself, Elise Ash. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. Please rate us. Check out our website. Send us an email. Let us know what you're liking, what you're not liking, what you want more of, what you want less of. This is something new to us, and we are just excited to be helping spread the word. So thank you so much.